The Dealmakers, an Agora production podcast, is a unique platform to recognize top-performing real estate partners and discover more about how they make deals. This is your time to learn from the best. I'm your host, Asaf Raz. Here we go. So we're still here at I Am In Dallas. Today, I'm with Ryan Christopher Nunes. Yes. So yeah, just introduce yourself for a second so the audience gets to know you, and then we'll continue the conversation from there. Well, thanks for having me, Asaf. So I grew up in the East Coast, did my undergrad at Georgetown University, and did my MBA at NYU. Was working on Wall Street as I was doing my MBA on nights and weekends and just rubbing shoulders with folks. Got into sales. Kind of in total, I generate over $200 million dollars of revenue for the different firms that I was part of. And so the way that I liken it for people in the real estate space is I locked in interest rates for folks, but I did that for commodities. So, you know, for airlines and cruise lines and oil and gas producers, if they wanted to hedge out five, 10 years, we would provide a product for that. And then three years ago, I pivoted to multifamily and just really take a very institutional, transparent and hands-on approach to multifamily. I've had a lot of experience just seeing how other owners operate and things that I'm always kind of saying, you know, wow, what are they doing there? Can I borrow some of those ideas and apply it to how we run our assets? But, you know, we're just very hands-on. It's important to us when someone invests with us that they have a good experience, that it's very transparent, that we really provide clear and timely updates. And we do that, what we say we're going to do. You've transitioned from a market that is not easier. Your background is really based on sales. And I think that you specifically bring something very special there. I would like to know, how does a day in your life look like? It's never a repetitive day. There's always something that can be done and done better. Looking at deals, analyzing our own deals as to how we can do better, sending newsletters to investors. I have all of our Facebook chats to the property. So I see those. So I get a direct pulse as to what's happening at our properties. And so that I can respond and see and make sure, okay, this person had a plumbing backup. You know, what did we do? How timely was it? Reputation is so important. So we want to, you know, put our best foot forward there, but also we want to deliver a premium product. So that could be with quartz, stainless appliances, new backsplashes. We truly are very hands-on. I mean, I'll work alongside our maintenance team if I'm visiting the property to just help out and show that, you know, we care about them. That's a lot of how I spend my day. You know, we try to pay, you know, a fair market wage, but also sometimes people are looking for that support. Yeah. And that could be emotional support. That yeah. could be, yeah. you know, you're just here with me. You care. You're yeah. ordering things for me when, you know, we need supplies or so forth. So I try to do my part and just really try to make our community special. And hopefully that reflects to our residents. What is your biggest failure and what have you done to get out of that? The thing that probably hurt the most, my partner and I were looking at deals and we found that perfect, perfect deal. We had an LOI accepted and that was the same day crude oil went to minus 37 oh. and COVID hit. And this deal was in Houston. And I said, you know, you have to keep a level head. We'll keep, you know, talking with the broker. And, you know, we just said, hey, we have to figure out a way to de-risk this because, you know, we couldn't get into units. And, you know, we had no idea what collections were, if people were going to pay rent because there was no rent relief at that time. And so we did what we thought was best in terms of, you know, redraft an LOI. And unfortunately, they went with another buyer that, uh, oh you know, that was willing to take, I guess, more quote unquote risk. That was really, really hard to get over because yeah. we finally felt like, okay, this is exactly what we've been looking for. And it couldn't have been at the worst time. It taught me a lot, though. It said, if you really believe in something, don't wait for other validation. In this real estate space, we've looked at 
500 deals now. And if we see something, we've for sure gone deeper yeah. than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And if we like it, we need to be more confident. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you see a unicorn, you know, jump on it and ride it to the moon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So on the flip side of things, what are you proud of the most? March, April, 2020, people had so much time. Like some of the brokers who are the most optimistic people on the planet yeah. were like, I need to hang up the jersey. And we said, no, it'll come back. And fortunately, there was a deal that we had bid on, you know, let's say like seven months prior. And I was meeting with that broker and he said, oh, it actually just fell out of contract. I was like, <laughs> it's been six months. Like what happened? And he said, if you guys want to just bid on it again. So we bid on it. We won it. Wow. And that was just a huge moment for us. It was the rebound off of the deal that we uh, had. the failure. Yeah, off, off of the, of the failure. failure. So. But, you know, so we're excited about that. And I think it'll be really good in terms of confidence to go full cycle. For us to go full cycle on something like that will just, you know, be proof of concept. Here was our plan. Here's how we executed it. What excites you the most about this? It's winning. We weren't real estate guys. Mm-hmm. We didn't go to real estate school. But what we did carry over was our business acumen and our ability to tackle Mm -hmm. different challenges. Your first days in the industry are not a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about those first days and one story you can't forget. I remember kind of like this childhood excitement of, wow, I'm trying something new. And, you know, if I could buy a deal and like the things we could do at the property and the impact we could make with a resident. I was like, I'll bring my guitar there and I'll teach him guitar lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the excitement of when I was sponsoring my first deal and I was a co-sponsor. I really wasn't expecting many people to come alongside and follow me and invest. But then people said, wow, like, you know, I really trust you and I trust your business decisions and respect you. So, you know, if you're this passionate about it, I'm going to join you on this investment. So who are role models that influenced you the most? It doesn't have to be specifically in real estate or multifamily. I've been very fortunate, you know, just a product of my upbringing. My mom and dad are extremely different. She is an angel and has a ton of patience and is just a very caring soul. And my dad is just like a taskmaster. Wasn't someone that expressed a lot in flowery words, but showed himself demonstrably in action. It really taught me a lot about selflessness and just how committed he was to us. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was kind of the base or foundation of who I am. And then on the sales side, I had someone that you know just gave me a lot of opportunity, gave me a big break in my career. My boss had left when I was kind of a junior associate. And instead of give these the accounts that she was covering to somebody who was more senior to me, he was like, I believe in you. I think you can do it. Wow. Really having to live up to, you know, his healthy expectations. And then also just his work-life balance and how, you know, despite, you know, being on Wall Street and it can be stressful. He had three kids and he said, every five years, I take one of them and it's just father and me time. Mm-hmm. And we go somewhere and they pick where they want to go. And we go three days a week, whatever it is. And I've done that with my kids and that's been special. And so, you know, just seeing that and seeing someone that was many years ahead of me and just the wisdom and guidance that he gave me, I'm just very appreciative of that. And so his name is Guillaume. So thank you, Guillaume. Cool. So this is the part where I call it growth hacks. What are the things that you can say, hey, this made me grow in a more sustainable way? What are some of those things that we can point our finger out? The three hacks that I don't know how I would do what we do without one thing. For people that are just getting in, they may not realize how 
much of this business is self-promotion, mm-hmm. which, you know, can be tough. Two is using virtual assistants to help with everything from website building to building out some of the modeling that I'd like to see in, mm-hmm. in some of our proprietary tools to just kind of administrative tasks to, mm-hmm. you know, outreach. And that has been super helpful. We use something called Asana. It's a cloud-based tool and you can put in, here's the, my priorities, mm-hmm. task one, task two, task three. And you can label them high, medium, low priority who's supposed to be doing them. You can add pictures in those tasks. So instead of emailing back and forth, it's just like, here it is on the asset management side. It's easily to be like, which deal was that? Or, you know, what did we say there? And here you can see the history all in one place. So that's huge. We use Zoom that helps because my partner's in California. And then we use WhatsApp. So if people need approvals or like, hey, there's an issue or here, just instant communication. So yeah, other GPs are listening to us. Go for yeah. like task yeah. management. Asana is great. Trello is great as well. Some people like using Monday. Yeah. They're not very hard tools to onboard on. It's sure. pretty easy to use. That's why I'll probably be an iPhone person for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just straightforward. Just like, it, works. it works. I agree. I've seen the growth of your presence in social media, but I feel like there's a network in real estate that's also outside of those social networks as well. What are some of the things you've done to build that network? We host a monthly meetup. Oh. In Houston, we have like 320 people in our meetup community, which you know we hope to grow. We actually provide lunch for everybody, bring in a really good guest speaker, and it's a great opportunity for us to connect with folks. And I host that with a good friend of mine, and I kind of joke and say, you know, I do it because at least we have a lunch date, you know, once a month together, <laughs> I get to see him. We also have a community on LinkedIn and Facebook that's called Wall Street Multifamily. And we just put relevant multifamily articles in there, some of the updates on our properties and, you know, just a way to keep in touch with people mm-hmm. and for people to interact. And I think people find value in that. And then I've written a number of articles on LinkedIn as part of Yona Weiss, who I'll give a lot of credit to, is, is in Israel. And I think that's amazing that, you know, People can be in another country. And I think it just shows like the ambition of some folks and operate in the U.S. like as if they were local, but has a 10 day LinkedIn challenge. And I did that. And that really helped, you know, to my point earlier about social media, I really wasn't big on LinkedIn. It's weird in the commodity space, like people would not post anything. And part of it was because they didn't want, you know, companies to come back and be like, you know, what is this? It's, you know, you shouldn't have said anything. It's kind of, it was always like, don't say anything. It's probably the best thing to say. And so that was just helpful to kind of express my views on asset management. They tend to be more asset management focused mm-hmm. and things that we were doing different on our properties. Again, that history that you come from, that efficiency clockwork, and you're doing it very simple and straightforward and super understandable. Yeah. So any trade secrets you're willing to share with our audience? Yes. You know, taking that discipline and work ethic and then figuring out how do I have that and then work smart. I mean, I think that is really the trade secret. It's not a game of shortcuts. I mean, it's, you know, you buy a deal, that's great, but then investors are wanting to see it perform, right? And you're only as good as what we'd say in commodities, your last trade. So like if your deal doesn't perform well, you know, are you really going to have the, you know, the chutzpah to go out and raise for the next deal? So it's important that track record, that performance, that asset management Mm -hmm. is important. And I would say one thing is in this business and, you know, I really love the way Michael Becker speaks. And he spoke this morning at an event and he says, you know, he tries to shoot things in his head as quick as he, as he can <laughs> deals. He means, and I think that's absolutely true because, you know, if you're spending, if your time is limited and you're spending time on deals that don't fit your criteria or, you know, are going nowhere, save yourself time and not go insane. So you don't get burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. If you could go back in time 
What tip would you give your younger self? Be bold with the gifts that you're given. Mm-hmm. I was a finance major and was like, you know, I want to work for a nonprofit and playing the you guitar. Know, just felt, yeah, just playing <laughs> the guitar, which I was. I was very torn. I remember this feeling like I couldn't do good if I weren't at a nonprofit. And I think that was very short-sighted. And I think that definitely held me back, that mentality and attitude. And eventually I'd end up working for a bank and absolutely loved it. I think it was just a winning culture, that culture of excellence, working with guys that had big personalities that were a lot of fun to be around, working with great clients and traveling and spending time with great people. And I think that people side was really energized by that. And, you know, I was able to give back in many ways. I would just say, you know, with God-given gifts, you shouldn't shy away from God-given opportunities. Sometimes we wait and we're like, oh, that dollar on the floor can't be real. It can't be real. Like, it it can't be real. Then someone picks up. It's like, oh, I should have gotten that. It was real. It was real. So be bold. bold. It's like, you know, be courageous. Don't doubt yourself. I would say those would be the things that I would look back amongst many, many other things. Like, far from perfect. and. You know, there's so much, so much to learn and so much more to go. Amazing. This was amazing. An amazing conversation. You do have a chance right now if you want to, you know, have a shameless plug, website, company, email, everything's going to go in the uh, podcast description, obviously, but here's your chance. Yeah. I mean, my philosophy has always been in business is to add value to folks. And then the business would come after that. On my website, lifechangingcapital.com, there's a number of free resources. And one is 25 questions every past investor should ask. And it has true stories from, you know, my time digging through deals and asking sponsors questions. Some of the crazy responses they gave me that were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And they just said that. And that's, again, free on my website. How does the website go? I'll write it in the description yeah, as well. It's, but it's it uh, lifechangingcapital.com. Okay, lifechangingcapital.com. If you didn't hear that, here it is. In the LinkedIn articles I wrote, which were just, you know, kind of what differentiates us and our approach to asset management, or there's not too many things written about asset management. There's a lot of, like, people celebrate the glory of acquisition, but they don't celebrate the nine other innings of asset management. And so that was something that, I found a little alarming. And so I just wrote, you know, here's like, I think we wrote an article about 10 ways we apply Wall Street to multifamily. So that's a good one. I'm going to want to read that one too. Thank you so much. much. This is is fantastic. I really appreciate your enthusiasm and you're a great, great host. Thank you so much.